Welcome to the MILF Bod Podcast. Mindful, intuitive, lifestyle, fitness. An all-encompassing wellness resource for women featuring some of the most successful, influential mothers and experts out there. I'm your host, Cherokee Luker, mother, model, fitness trainer, and wellness enthusiast. Join me as we dive into all things MILF. I'm so honored to be here today with the beautiful and equally intelligent Misa Chen. Misa's accomplishments and accolades are next level, and she's such a powerhouse in the entrepreneurial space. Misa is a public speaker and has given talks for TEDx and Harvard. She's also a model, entrepreneur, mother to two, and UCLA alum. Misa's advocacy for embracing failure and normalizing imposter syndrome is so inspiring, and we dive into lots of different topics on this episode, such as Misa's struggle in dealing with dyslexia as a child, breaking the mold and stereotypes that beautiful women can also have brains, being multi-passionate, setting an example to women of color, adjusting to being a mother of two, listening to your intuition as a mother, feeling comfortable with being a black sheep, and so, so much more. Misa is a wealth of knowledge, and I can't wait for you all to learn from her. With that, enjoy this episode of the MILF Bod Podcast. All right, you guys, calling all creatives of LA or anyone traveling to the LA area in need of an event space, photo studio, content location, video space, production services, or grip services. Issue Studio is a unique photo, video, and event space, and Issue offers full-service production in an exclusive, intimate, and private boutique environment. The space is so beautifully curated, you guys, and I can't tell you how many shoots I've done at Issue that have turned out to be some of my favorite shoots to date. Not to mention a bunch of amazing events I've attended over the years where the studio gets completely transformed into the best atmosphere for the perfect party. Also, you guys, the wallpaper in the makeup room is absolutely iconic and it's perfect for the Instagram feed. So I highly recommend Issue Studio for any brand or any influencer looking to elevate their image. It is seriously the most beautiful studio I've ever shot at. And I've shot out a lot of studios here in LA and it's just so clean. It's centrally located. There's a huge parking lot, which is huge here in LA. So go check it out at issuephotostudio.com to find more details about how you can book this amazing space for your next photo shoot, video production, content creation, party, event, whatever it is that any of you creatives need here in LA, Issue Studio has got you. So go check it out. Hello, Misa. Welcome to the show. Hi. Good to see you. Good to see you too. It's been almost two years. I know. It's been so long and we're just saying how quickly the time goes by. It's a cliche, but it's so, so true. We met on a photo shoot with our babies. (laughs) Enzo was four months old. Hunter was around six months old. Mm -hmm. And I remember you walking in and, and I just felt like so much comfort knowing that there was another mom there with a new baby because it can be isolating sometimes. It can be scary. Yeah, it definitely. So Enzo was my second, but like 
even just the second time around, you forget how hard it is, especially the newborn phase, like the lack of sleep, like that whole transition is just so hard. And with the first, it's really hard. Yeah. And I remember, was it your mother-in-law who came with you to set? I did. So she's been a saving grace for me. (laughs) Good. That's so nice that she lives close. So actually with my mother-in-law, she's from Chile. So what we do is we fly her up just for the newborn phase for like three months at a time. And she's just been so helpful. Like she helped me kind of transition to motherhood with my first. And then the second, it was so hard as well. So I'm very thankful for family. (laughs) Yes, that is a huge blessing. I feel like she's been very instrumental in your motherhood journey as far as what I see on like social media. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Ani just, she's taught me so many things, especially when we had Zoe, our first, like she kind of helped give me and my husband the space to transition into parenthood. And like, she taught us a lot of things. Like she's so good with babies. She's a nurse. So people always say, oh, you know, family is so important once you have kids. And I always wrote off, I was like, yeah, I'll be fine. (laughs) Once I gave birth, I was like, oh my gosh, thank goodness for family. Yeah. Because same with my mom, she came up for both babies as well. So like, I just feel very blessed to have that. It truly takes a village. Oh my gosh, it really does. Okay. So there's so much that I want to get into today. I feel like I don't even know where to begin because... I feel like you have accomplished so much in your life and I admire you for everything that you've done. And so I kind of want to start out with just talking about like what you feel like you're most proud of as far as your accolades and accomplishments, because you should be extremely proud of yourself for all of the things that you've done. And I mean, you're still going, but like if you could narrow it down to something that you're the most proud of, what would you say? Oh, gosh, that's such a hard I know. (laughs) I kind of divide up my life into personal life, which, of course, it would be the kids. Of course. And me and my husband surviving through having two kids. (laughs) Um, And I really love my husband so much. Like, I openly talk about how we go to a marriage counselor weekly and, like, how important mental health is in a marriage. And I'm kind of proud that we've walked through fire together. We've worked together as well. So, yeah. Like that's kind of in my personal life and my business life. I love to know that I'll be a role model for other little girls, other women out there. I've built two successful businesses that have broken the million dollar revenue mark, which is really hard as a woman, especially women of color. It's like less than 1% of businesses breaking $1 million are owned by a woman of color. Yeah, And so I want to kind of try to figure out how can we make that statistic change and increase and just help more women out there, help more women of color out there and continue to be that role model. Yeah. I feel like you're doing such an amazing job at that. And to just give the audience a little bit of background, you are an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. You're also a UCLA alum. Mm -hmm. You're a model. You're a mother of two. What else? I mean, there's so many things that you, so many hats that you wear. Multi-passionate, definitely. You know, it's interesting. I always kind of wanted to compartmentalize all my different identities. But what I've realized after a lot of soul searching and also just working with people and marketing and branding and understanding how to build that, I fully accepted, like, I'm just multi-passionate. Yeah, I love like, that. So a lot of people are like, are you a model? Are you an entrepreneur? I'm like, I'm both. You're you all know? of them. I have it going on. I am kind of in the process of transitioning more out of modeling. 
I just have so much stuff going on and the business side is taking off a lot more. So that's, that's been hard for me to kind of let that go a little more because that has been there for me for so many years. When my last business failed, like modeling was there to kind of catch me financially. And, right. and so that's been hard to kind of accept that I can't do it all, especially being a mom of two and kind of yeah. transition more into like narrowing down my passions. Yeah, it's great because I feel like as we get older, of course, modeling, there yes. tends to be a shelf life. Yeah. But it is always nice to kind of have it as like your plan B if yes. anything were to fail. Um, so that's one thing that I'm very grateful for mm-hmm. as far as the modeling industry. So I would love to start kind of from the beginning. Like, tell me what your upbringing was like, because I feel like that's definitely played a huge role as to all of your success. Yeah. You know, I grew up in Southern California. Mm -hmm. I'm half Chinese, half Dutch. And I grew up very close to my Chinese side. My dad worked a lot growing up. And so my Chinese grandfather was there for a long time growing up. He would fly in for a month at a time. And I really grew up very resonating heavily with my Chinese side. Your culture, yeah. Yeah. You know, family was everything growing up. And I always knew I kind of looked different. I was in a very non-diverse community growing up in La Jolla. I, lo- <laughs> I loved it. I absolutely love living by the beach. I, I loved where I lived. But I always thought, wow, I look a little different. Mm-hmm. And there were absolutely no role models for Asian American women growing up. I can I, relate. Yeah, it's just really crazy. I always tell this in my public speaking there was only like the yellow Power Ranger and she had like one line. Like that's all. I was like, oh, that girl kind of looks like me. But that <laughs> is it. The yellow Power Ranger. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's true. You know, I kind of didn't really have role models growing up. I guess like Oprah was kind of like my main role model. <laughs> and, and growing up, I really struggled a lot in school. I was dyslexic. Oh, so, wow. That was a big challenge. Like when I was going to a new school in sixth grade, an upperclassman, she was touring the school with Mm -hmm. me and she was like, okay, this is where we go to the cafeteria. This is where we go to the lockers. And I'm like, oh, what's that brick building over there? And she's like, oh, that's where the stupid kids go. You don't have to worry about that. And then that was really kind of upsetting to me because I had this weird feeling and The next day, my mom said, you're going to the learning center Mm. every day after school. So every day I had to go into this building that was kind of labeled where the stupid kids go. So it was a big challenge for me my whole life to kind of feel unpopular. Um, You know, I had glasses and braces. I felt super ugly growing up. Super ugly, stupid. You know, the confidence was not there. Yeah. And so the middle school and high school years were definitely tough and looking so different. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I can relate. Growing up in Maine, especially, there's absolutely no diversity. There were maybe two black kids in my school and maybe two other Asian kids. But like, I'm only a quarter Asian too. My mom's half. I was trying to, yeah, Yeah. you look so much like my daughter. Beautiful. Yeah. So I grew up a lot like you with my Asian side. And so I resonate a lot with my Cambodian side. But like, because there was nobody else in our school who looked different, I would get teased a lot and not Mm. in like a crazy way, but people would just like make, you know, stupid little jokes here and there. Yeah. But that gets to you after a while. Yeah. Did you get bullied at all? I got bullied, but just like typically girl. Well, maybe it was the way I look because I had glasses and braces and I was very quiet. (laughs) Yeah. I don't feel like it was necessarily because of my race. It was just like 
girls are really mean in middle school. And if you can't figure out how to like work that system, which I did not know how to socialize really, Mm -hmm. it was, it was brutal. You know, I had like my best friend leave me in sixth grade and be like, I want to go to the A group. You're in the C group. I'm not talking to you anymore. You know, like mean yeah. girl stuff. And, and that stuff really exists. So, so that makes an impact on you for the rest of your life. Yeah. So academic wise with dyslexia, how did that affect you? You know, Richard Branson was definitely a big role model for me growing up because mm-hmm. he was like this super successful multimillionaire despite dyslexia. So I kind of always used him as this beacon, like I can still make it yeah. in life after high school because, you know, I would work so, so hard, so much harder than all my classmates so diligently to just get B's. So every honor roll that was called, you know, it just kind of reminded me that I didn't fit that mold and I was neurodiverse. And so that was a really big challenge for me. Despite that, my mom was really great. She enrolled me with a counselor right away to like give me different tactics on how to address my dyslexia. And I ended up getting into UCLA despite that learning disability. So that was really amazing. And that changed my life. That's amazing. Do you still struggle with it today? Or I don't really know a lot about dyslexia because I've also listened to a lot of podcasts and there's kind of a common thread in that a lot of really successful people actually have dealt with dyslexia. So how does it affect you? It's interesting because a huge percentage of entrepreneurs end up having some kind of learning disability, whether it's ADD or dyslexia. I think it's like 30%. So we all flock towards that because we don't fit the mold in the corporate world. Right. Yeah. So there's different types, but I really have a lot of trouble writing intro paragraphs, conclusion paragraphs, reading comprehension. So if I read Mm. a whole essay and I need to summarize it, that's a big challenge for me. Yeah. That being said, so recently I actually have been working with ChatGPT a lot. So I like write a basic post, but then I have ChatGPT like write the intro or the conclusion paragraph. And that's been a game changer for me. Okay. Because now on LinkedIn, I get 16 million views to my content per month. And thanks to that, I'm the number one most viewed API Asian American woman on LinkedIn as well. 23rd most viewed woman in the world on LinkedIn, all thanks to like me using ChatGPT to kind of balance out that weakness I have with writing. That's a great resource. It's amazing. What is it called? ChatGBT. The AI. So using artificial intelligence and ChatGBT to basically improve all of my writing. Wow. That's amazing. So you got into UCLA and then while you were in UCLA, you decided to dive into modeling. Is that correct? I did. Yeah. You know, UCLA was such an amazing chapter because I kind of call it like the ugly dyslexic duckling. That's kind of my story because all of a sudden (laughs) when I came to UCLA, I got this newfound confidence. I could start a fresh slate. Like I was with the same kids, 100 people from sixth grade to 12th grade. Yeah, that's a long time. It was a lot. And I really disliked that school. And so with UCLA, it's like I could start with a fresh slate. All of a sudden there was so much diversity. Yeah. And all of a sudden... I felt like I flourished. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't go to this cafeteria where you had to worry about who you sat next to. No one cared. Yeah, no. And Mm -hmm. so it was just really enjoyable. And I just took so many different classes. Yeah. What ended up happening is my junior year, I became a Bruin wear model to model for their clothing line, for UCLA's clothing line. And the photographer was like, this is you. Like, you're meant to model. 
And yeah. I said, you know, aren't I a little short? Um, like I'm five, six, five, seven. That seems a little short for him all. He's like, no, you'll do great. And so when right. I studied abroad in Paris, I started building up my book there. Mm-hmm. And when I came back to LA, I submitted some photos and I got into the top modeling agency, LA Models. Yeah. And they just loved my look. And at the time, I was one of like the only Asian American models. There was very little diversity back then. This was back when, uh, about yeah, 15 years, years ago. 15 years ago. Or okay. 2007. Okay. Yeah. 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 It was a long time ago. The industry has changed a lot since It then. has. Yeah. And so I feel very lucky to have have that. Yeah, because it's opened a lot of doors for you. It's given you great opportunities. And you used your savings from modeling to kind of start your first endeavor, right? Your first entrepreneurial endeavor yeah. um, with the food truck. For sure. Right? It's, entrepreneurship has always been this passion of mine. So yeah. right when I turned 18, I opened up an eBay account to resell vintage clothes on eBay. Mm-hmm. And then I did a jewelry line. And so it just kind of kept like snowballing into this thing. And I had so much connection to a lot of entrepreneur friends at UCLA. And so right out of college, I was modeling. And you do make good money modeling at that time. But I was like, man, I am so bored. Everyone's working. I'm only working two days a month. I want to do something with my life. When you're modeling, you're like, man, I don't know how long this is going to last, right? Yeah. So I was like, I need to build something more with, you know, this energy I have. Mm-hmm. And so two of my friends were launching a food truck. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what I was getting into, but I was like, <laughs> let's do this. Yeah. Kind of within the year, we launched a Vietnamese sandwich truck called Nom Nom Truck. And it just snowballed into this huge opportunity. Like overnight, we got press in New York Times, Forbes, Inc. 30 Under 30 Entrepreneurs. Eventually, we landed a reality TV show called The Great Food Truck Race. Wow. And it was it was a wild ride. It definitely was. Yeah, I was not pun I, intended. I was not ready for it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So talk to me about that. What was that like? Yeah. So going into reality TV, it's kind of like one of those things you do in your 20s. You're like, what? Why the hell not? You yeah, know? exactly. Um, and so I'm really glad I did it. The producers were getting very frustrated with us on set just because we kept winning. Like they created these rules where if you make the most revenue in each city, then you move to the next round and you win that round. And then the food truck that makes the least amount of revenue in that city, they go home. Right. So it's kind of right. like elimination. And we kept winning and they hated that storyline. Like they wanted it to be competitive. Yeah. So like there was like a hit and run on our truck. All these crazy food challenges. Like we had to use Pioneer cooking tools for a challenge. And I totally embarrassed myself. Like I am not a camper girl. So I couldn't start (laughs) a fire. It was so embarrassing. I was like shaking cans of beans to see what was in it. Oh my God. It was so embarrassing. Like they were so happy. I think that like finally I looked really bad. And then what ended up happening is we traveled across the United States in the food truck. And it was exhausting. Like the only time we didn't have cameras on us was when me and my business partner went to the bathroom. And then that's when we kind of strategized because we're like, okay, they aren't listening to us anymore. But they'd always try to be like one step ahead of us. So finally, we got to New York and I had this huge catering order set up that would like basically make us crush it for that round. And they turned the rules on us. They're like, this doesn't make sense in the storyline. You can't do a catering order. And so I actually had a breakdown. Off camera, they felt bad filming me, the guy that was with me. But I had the breakdown for the first time in my life. I couldn't do anything else. I was like, I'm just quitting right now. And um, 
that was a really low point for me. And like, it taught me a lot about mental health and business and, and when you're pushed to your limits and, and when you need to kind of step back and get a better balance. Yeah. I'm sure it taught you a lot. Yeah. So after that happened, then where did you go from there? So the fame of the great food truck race definitely got to my head. That was another really important lesson as a leader. I focus more on like, what's the next press? What's the next exposure? Rather than focusing on my employees and building a team and being a better leader to them. And so it got to a point, and I released a newsletter about this recently. We had one bad hire that almost put our whole company under. (gasps) What happened? We had someone who was very resentful of me and not giving them enough attention. And then that just ruined the whole company culture. So we had to kind of do a revamp of the whole front line, all the managers, and do a retreat, do an all hands. And and that was really hard. That was um, hard for me to look in the mirror and be like, you messed up, you know, and it's on me. And so, you know, I was in my mid-20s and I still had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, that's young. That's yes. so young. <laughs> Definitely. So it was a lot of great learning lessons despite all that and going through all that. And finally, I figured out how to make the food truck profitable in the end. And despite all that, I still had a falling out with my business partner. And that was really unfortunate. Um, Were you friends before? Not before the food truck, but we got very close during the food truck. We just yeah. weren't meshing well towards the end. I didn't feel like it was a healthy relationship. Yeah. She's doing great now, and, and I'm happy to see her doing well. But I think that our personalities just don't mesh well together in business. So it got to the point where it's like a breaking point, and we just had to close the truck. Yeah. That was really tough to just, like, close a really good business. That is tough. You have to find the perfect dynamic when it comes exactly. to a, a business partner. It's kind of like roommates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a marriage. It yeah. really is. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of things I would have done differently. But at the same time, I, I thought about on the car ride here and I was like, mm-hmm. would I do anything differently in my life? And then I think about it in a lot of ways, no, because all these lessons are really valuable. Failure yeah. is really valuable to learn from. I agree. Yeah you advocate a lot for and talk about too in a lot of your talks is like embracing failure, right? Yeah. And um, also you talk a lot about imposter syndrome too. So what's the first time you felt like an imposter? Oh gosh, so many times. But I would say the biggest time there was this GSEA, Global Student competition where for my jewelry line, this is before Nom Nom Truck, I got in and Mm -hmm. literally every single student who got into this pitch competition from across the United States was a white male. And so there's like this mold, right, of an entrepreneur that, Mm -hmm. that fit it. And then like there was me and I was like, I don't look like any of these people here. And my pitch isn't like any of these people. And it's taken me a lot of years to build confidence from that. And there are a lot of people who just didn't even want to talk to me. They didn't think I was important at all. And that was hard to get rejected so much too there. Right. Like the fellow students there. But there were some students who talked to me and now they're some of the most successful entrepreneurs I know. And those are the ones that paid attention to me and built that relationship and made me realize not everyone's going to like you. And I now actually embrace myself being a black sheep. There's actually a lot of benefits to being that. Absolutely. To, to bring diversity to the table. And yeah. But that's only super recently, like after taking this class, like Women of Color and Leadership at Harvard, mm-hmm. that I've really embraced fully being this 
unusual character in the room, like the only person. I think when we're younger, it's definitely a lot harder to accept. But then as you get older, at least for me, speaking from my own experience, it just becomes easier to accept yourself for who you are and being comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. Imposter syndrome has become a little bit of a controversial topic now because a lot of people say, oh, it's only women that feel it. And I completely disagree with that. Yeah. What? Like it's mostly only women. And I actually disagree with that because I had a job interview recently, like for a board seat. And like one of the people there who was a white male, he was like, I felt imposter syndrome. And then like at Harvard, for example, Mm -hmm. I did the imposter syndrome talk. Yeah. Half the audience was women or people of color, but the other half were white men. And these were like the most successful white men in the class. I think no matter who you are, no matter how successful you are, I think everybody at one point in their lives has felt imposter syndrome. Yeah. What you have to kind of accept is that usually if you're growing your career, if you're pushing yourself, it's never going to fully go away. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm venturing more into the VC world and private equity world. And I'm taking this course that's pushing me so far over the edge. I'm taking a Harvard executive education course in the spring around that. So it's going to be VC? like venture capital. Okay. So it's like going to be a whole new sector that I really want to get into as an entrepreneur. But it's like, I will be so in over my head at that class. And I know I'm going to have such severe imposter syndrome. But it's yeah. like just except that that'll happen as you grow your career more. Yeah. I think you have to get uncomfortable in order to grow. You can't can't grow while you're comfortable. Definitely. And I think that that's a big feeling that you have if you have imposter syndrome or if you've ever felt it. And I think everybody has experienced that. All right, my MILF fam, as you all know, I'm always looking for ways to aid in becoming the most optimal version of myself mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And one of the things I do to support myself in doing this is by taking my vitamins every single day. And I know it can be overwhelming sometimes with all of the supplement brands out there, but one brand that I've been a huge fan of for years now is Wealthy. Two products I absolutely love by them is the Her and the Sweat. And they just recently sent me the Vision Gummies, which I am so excited to try and see the results from. Get it? See the results from the Vision Gummies? Which I think is so cool that they are pioneering advocacy for vision health because, you know, we're always looking at our screens every day. And it's something that I think a lot of people just put on the back burner and dismiss. But the Her is a great way for women to get their daily dose of biotin, vitamins A, B, C, D, E, calcium, hyaluronic acid, magnesium, and selenium. Just all of the great things that us women need and are probably lacking and it's all in one. And then the sweat is something I like to take before a workout to just help enhance my burn with the natural caffeine. And there's also dandelion root in there to help with my metabolism and digestion. The quality of these supplements are just next level. And I'm telling you, you have to go check them out. If you use the code MILFBOD, you get 25% off your first order when you go check out at imwealthy.com. That's code MILFBOD, M-I-L-F-B-O-D at checkout. 
at I'm Wealthy, I-M-W-E-L-L-T-H-Y dot com to get 25% off your first order. Enjoy, everybody. What about failure? What's the first time that you feel like you failed and kind of took it as a lesson? So I, I think we're actually failing yeah. every day. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think like life would be boring if we weren't failing all the time. Yeah. But failure actually didn't bother me that much until failure made me lose my identity, which was nom nom truck failing. Yeah. And that was, I guess you could say, okay, it didn't really fail. You let it fail because you had the falling out with your business hurt, but technically it, it is a failure. And that was really hard for me to let it fail and to lose my identity overnight. And that hit me super hard. But I now look at it as such a blessing because if I was still running that business while being a mom right now, I don't know how I would do it. I really don't. Like, it was like a third baby. It really was. For sure. You have to be there 24-7. Talk to me a little bit about stereotypes because I feel like being in the modeling industry in general— there's a lot of stereotypes around it. And I wanted to talk to you about that because having both beauty and brains is something that doesn't come very often. But do you ever feel you're kind of pigeonholed and people kind of judge you by your looks? Is it hard to deal with sometimes? Definitely. I would say that's why I'm getting my alumni status at Harvard Business School because I think a lot of people just assume I'm a pretty face and I want to show they don't take you seriously. Yeah. And also I have warm charisma instead of being cold. Like I have just fully embraced that. Like I'm a nice person. I have warm charisma. Yeah. You can go either way. Right. So with Asian women stereotypes, it's really unfortunate. They identify us as warm and not competent or cold and competent. Society has trouble thinking that we could be both. It's extremely hard. Like, it's like we're walking a very thin balance beam. People just say, oh, you're a model. You know, you're not that smart. So when I was raising money in Silicon Valley, which the statistic is less than 3% of VC-backed companies have a woman of color as their CEO. So it's extremely low. Wow. It's like the stats are horrible. And so when I was raising money, it it was a really tough job because I didn't have much of a network. Even though I had good traction, it didn't matter. And I actually ended up raising money from someone. He reached out to me. I can't say the name because I don't want to get sued, but a very wealthy (laughs) individual. Mm -hmm. And he also recognized me from the modeling world. And our first meeting was great. And I thought we had a great connection. But the second meeting, when I'm set to close him for, um, I think it was a check for $75,000 for our company, he brought his prostitute out and he had his prostitute sit in front of me and he asked me to pitch to her. Not only that, he also asked me to go out to a party with him and her afterwards, which I turned down. I still closed the deal because I was like, I need the money, but I never talked to him again. And for many years, I blamed myself and I thought, is it because of a mo- my model? Should I be more cold? Should I not wear makeup? Should I be wearing glasses? Should I, you know, should I change myself? Like, is this my fault? And what I realized is like, absolutely not. It's just, it's really unfortunate. It's like the way things are. And now I'm in such a better place. And I hope that no other women have to go through what I'm going through. I mean, I talked to other women about this and most of them haven't had an experience that negative. Yeah. That's Um, intense. (laughs) Yeah. It's like worse than any experience I had in the modeling industry, you know? 
So that really hurt my dignity a lot. I bet. And, yeah. Um, there's multiple experiences that aren't as bad as that, but I'm really trying to cultivate this idea that you can have warm charisma and be a nice person and be competent, and that is possible. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you're breaking the mold for sure and all the stereotypes because I feel like, too, as an Asian woman, I can relate to, you know, my mom is Asian. Is your dad Asian? My dad's Asian. Your dad's Asian. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. There's a lot of stereotypes around, like, Asian moms and mm-hmm. their daughters. And, you know, I just— it's hard to like break away from that narrative sometimes, yeah. but we can definitely break the mold and I'm so glad that you are. So tell me a little bit about your TEDx talk and also you've spoken at Harvard as well. Mm-hmm. So how did you get into public speaking? How did you end up doing a TEDx talk? Like that's huge. Yeah. So I've always been kind of looking for what's that next thing after modeling. I absolutely love modeling. I love being present on camera. I love bringing charisma to Mm -hmm. the camera. But I know that it's not forever. As you said, we have a shelf life. So I decided to apply to Harvard Business School to their executive education program to find out what's that next step in my career right? and to invest in that for that next chapter. And there was a public speaking course in this leadership program I was taking at Harvard and it clicked with me. I was like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. And this was five years ago, Yeah, right after I had my first kid. And I was like, well, I'm going to have to slow down a little bit. <laughs> uh, but it was cool to suddenly have this aha moment and find that next career that I want to chase after modeling. Yeah, And it goes really well in tune. Like there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are also public speakers. So yeah, absolutely. it really fit well in my career. And that's kind of like the next frontier that I'm going on. With TEDx, I applied to... Um, TEDx, uh, San Luis Obispo, and Mm -hmm. a couple others. And San Luis Obispo, that team, like, was really amazing. And I had a good feeling about it. And the biggest criteria is that I could just travel for the day there and come back to my kids. So so. nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love San Luis Obispo. It's such a beautiful area. I know. It's amazing. So before you had taken the public speaking class, how did you feel about public speaking? Were you nervous? Did you enjoy it? Like, how did you feel? It's funny because it just kind of reminded me that I really enjoyed it. I did speak at my high school once before. I had Mm -hmm. spoken at UCLA Alumni Day right after Guy Kawasaki one day, right after Nom Nom Truck failed. I spoke about failure. And so I realized it's been kind of there my whole life, almost like a shadow, but I never like fully embraced it because modeling took up a lot more of that space. Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of been this transition I'm working on right now and I'm on hold for a couple speaking gigs this year and that's so exciting it's been um super rewarding wow were you nervous before your TEDx talk like how did you feel because oh public speaking is not my forte I literally break out in hives I get so nervous I mean I should probably take a course because I've heard that it helps obviously but how did you feel before Like excited, but definitely very, very nervous. I mean, it's an auditorium full of people. I think that modeling definitely helps, though, because leading up to that, you know, I would do commercials and there'd be 500 people on set. Right, staring at you. Yeah, Yeah. so it's like it does help a little bit. Again, it's a little different. Public speaking is a whole other level, but I did channel a lot of that nervousness I had before a modeling shoot like that towards the public speaking. So it is kind of just like a little bit of a higher level intensity. Yeah, Yeah, that's good that you were able to like pull from those experiences Mm -hmm. for sure. If I'm on set and there's a million people watching me, I'm fine. As long as I don't have to speak. Yeah, speaking is different. It is a lot harder. It's very intimidating. 
I basically just had the whole speech memorized, like the back right. of my hand. So it's like, there's absolutely no chance that I could freeze on stage. That's great. And then when you did your speech at Harvard, how was that? Was that intimidating? That was you after know, TEDx, right? That was, oh gosh, no, TEDx was right after it. Oh, um, okay. So that was right before COVID. Um, we didn't know COVID was going to happen. We had this huge, for my personal leadership development module at Harvard, we had our final dinner with the whole cohort, like 250 students in the Harvard Club. And that was just, it was amazing because I got picked to speak about a professor I dearly cared about who was getting tenure. And so that was just really cool to put together a speech for him and just like get that standing ovation at the end to wow, like really focus the love and attention on him. I bet it's such an adrenaline rush. It was. Huh? I mean, if you ask me, like, what's some of the pivotal moments of your career? That really was one of the pivotal I'm sure. moments. Like, that was like my icky guy, like my true passion of just bringing <laughs> so much love to a room, yeah. so much energy, and I love in-person events. And so that was just kind of like one of the pinnacles of my career. Yeah, that's a huge accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's dive a little bit into motherhood and how you're adjusting. Well, I mean, now you've probably fully adjusted. Uh, You're never (laughs) fully adjusted. Let me tell you that. Never. (laughs) That's good. That's a good, valid point. But I saw on one of your posts how you spoke about experiencing a lot of mom guilt when Enzo was born and trying to kind of divide your attention between Zoe and Enzo and how difficult that must be. And that's something that I have a lot of anxiety about when I have my second child is like, how on earth am I ever going to be able to provide enough attention for two little humans that I'm trying to raise? Because right now it's like nonstop. So, yeah, talk to me a little bit about mom guilt and how you kind of adjusted to having Um, two. I don't know if I'm the best example. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. We're all a work in progress. It's kind of like in a company, when you run a company and there's different fires to put out, like you just focus on the fires, right? So, like, right when I got pregnant with the second, I knew it was going to be an issue because my daughter was already having issues. Like she regressed in potty training and Mm. she had been with me and my husband all of COVID, right? Like very little interaction with anyone else. So she was so close to us and already she's a homebody. She just adores us. Yeah, very attached. So it was a really hard awakening for her. The first year was very, very stressful because if your child isn't five when the second is born, it's five when they make the transition to be okay with sharing the attention and okay with not feeling like the younger one's a threat this much. Right. So she was three and a half when he was born. So that like first year and a half was really tough. I can imagine. So we had to get a family therapist and... With Enzo, I just had a lot of mom guilt because I couldn't nurse him when I could nurse her. Like my first, I could nurse her, but he was a 10-pound baby, so I couldn't produce enough milk. So that was like, I think that there's a lot of pressure on moms right now, especially with social media, to just like be these perfect uber moms. My doctor talked to me about it, and he's like, you know, don't pressure yourself. You know, supplement him with formula. Give him enough food. Like he wants to bottle feed, bottle feed. And absolutely. And so that was hard to like realize, okay, this is a different kid. It's not going to be the same. And I kind of just tried to take the pressure off of myself to like not be this perfect mom. Yeah, that's really good advice. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, because I'm definitely kind of anxious as far as that goes. But I think you just kind of adjust and like our intuition 
kicks in yeah. as, as women and as a mother. And it seems like you're doing an amazing job. So Thank you. Yeah. So now that we're into motherhood and all of this stuff, let's dive into the acronym MILF. What do you do to stay mindful? To stay mindful, I do meditate 15 minutes every night or try to. Every night at nighttime. Okay. Yeah, I have a Spotify playlist. It's just like four songs. It's mm-hmm. just this repetitive thing. So I do that. So that's kind of what got me through the last year. Because I literally, like our bedtime is so intense. My daughter's so demanding that like that's all I had time for myself at night is that 15 minutes. Yeah. Now it got slightly better. Like the kids are in the same room. The baby's sleep trained. So now I have more like 30 minutes, which still isn't a lot, but I do a little bit of journaling and I really enjoy like writing the newsletter for my current company and like just like doing some journaling at night um, is really enjoyable, like a self-help journal. Yeah. It's so important to carve out, even if it is 15 minutes, 30 minutes, like whatever you can get, you you need to give back to yourself because especially with two, you're giving out so much of your energy. it's a lot. Yeah. So for your playlist, did you kind of curate it? What does it look like when you're meditating? So there's the Rihanna song from Black Panther. Gosh, I can't even remember what it's yeah, called. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I love about. that song. So uh-huh. that's what it starts with. Then there's like two instrumentals. Mm-hmm. And then there's a Selena Gomez song that it kind of, it's a calming song. It's, I think it's called Calm Down. Oh, cool. Um, at the end and then that's it. So Aww. it's just like a very quick and easy playlist. And then I kind of just clear my mind, but also try to do... <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this all. <laughs> I do some like um, ecstatic dance a yes. little bit like this. And I try to just like get into a positive mindset because it's really easy. Like if you're on social media all the time or just mm-hmm. you're tired, like and as an entrepreneur, you really have to reset yourself to be positive. So I try yeah. to like think more positively during that period. I like that you do it at night too. Yes. Um, I've heard recently that it's so, so important to program your subconscious mind right before you go to sleep. So like even if that's thinking of three things that you're grateful for or just, you know, making sure that you're setting yourself up for a good night's sleep mm-hmm. so that way your brain is good for the next day. Um, yeah. I think it's very underrated to do that. And so I've tried to start implementing that as well. How do you listen to your intuition? You know, that kind of caught me off guard. I just realized, like, it's just like it feels right. Right. Yeah. And a lot of the time, I'm Capricorn, so I'm super practical. My friends always joke about this with me. But I do have, like, this more spiritual intuition side. Yeah. So I think that sometimes when I'm journaling or, like, at the end of the day, when I have an important decision to make, I kind of just go with what my heart's telling me, the direction. That's beautiful. Recently, like we've had some issues with my daughter. We had trouble finding like the right childcare for her, my older daughter. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of other parents are like, oh, you should do this. You should do that. This works for my kid. And it's like my daughter's a very unusual, very sensitive girl. Yeah. And so I kind of just went with my intuition that she would like this art camp. And like no one knows your kids better than you. Exactly. And so you need to like really trust your intuition as a mom and like channel into that and that you know what's best for your kid. Whether it's going to the hospital with them, advocating for them, like what's best for them. And then you know their personality the best because every kid is so different. So I think like yes. trusting both my intuition in business and as a mother has been really important. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think we can all take away from that. 
and it's hard sometimes to shut out that outside noise and other people's opinions. But like you said, you truly know them better than anybody else. You know yourself better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. So it's just about like tapping in and being able to to listen to that. What are some of your lifestyle non-negotiables? It can be your diet, your nutrition, what books you're reading, podcasts you're listening to, your beauty routine, just things that help you feel like the best version of yourself on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. My biggest superpower is sleep. Like, yeah. So that was a big challenge in the newborn phase. Mm-hmm. Like the first time around, I got pneumonia because oh. I didn't sleep enough. And so that's oh, when my wow. mother-in-law really helped out. Thank goodness she came in and helped me. And then the second time around, I was like, okay, we're just saving up for a night nurse. Like I have to get sleep because that's kind of how I'm able to do so much and how I'm really able to like be the best person I can be. So I've been so on top of sleep training. We actually don't go on vacations. We're going our first vacation after years with the two kids, which I'm kind of terrified about. (laughs) But like we don't go on vacations because we care about sleep. And I, yeah. I, that's like a big thing for me. It's so important. Mm-hmm. So where are you going on vacation? Uh, we're going to San Francisco this weekend. Okay. And then in a couple weeks, we're going to San Diego. So very simple, easy going. Like it's right. close, but I'm still a little bit scared because the kids will be in a new environment. <laughs> yeah. At least there's no time change. Yeah. That's, that's nice. <laughs> Last, what is your fitness routine? So I just recently started working out again starting last January. We're very lucky. We live right next to a gym. Oh, that's so convenient. And so it's like one block away. Nice. Um, And so that's been really helpful. So I usually just do about 15 minutes of the bicycle. Mm -hmm. And you can actually like read or work or or something on the bicycle, which is great. Yeah. And then I do some weights as well after that. And I'm just trying to work more and more into that. I've noticed a huge difference It's actually like more than even the fitness aspect. I care about how it reduces my anxiety and helps my sleep. 100%. So like it's an odd bonus that I'll look better. But like that's such a plus because I I suffer from anxiety. Yeah. And so like I want to try as hard as I can. So many people in my family, like older people are on meds and I really don't ever want to have to go on meds. So I really want to try to like work fit workout fitness in my routine as much as possible. Yeah. More than anything, I love it for the mental health aspect because you're able to just be 100% present. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's really the only time of day, which I need to work on, that I feel like I can be present because otherwise I'm like thinking about, you know, what I need to do next or, you know, my mind is constantly racing. But when I'm, yeah. yeah, when you're working out, it's like all you're focusing on is like this one thing that you're doing. Yes. So yeah, definitely a game changer for your mental health. One last question I ask everyone at the end of every episode is if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would you say to your younger self? You're going to figure it out. Like yeah. things will work themselves out. Like just have faith in yourself and believe in yourself. It's so cliche. Like, you know, it's written all over the place. Believe in yourself, but it's it's really about that. Yeah. I agree 100%. Okay, Misa, thank you so much for being here today. Where can everybody find you and connect with you? Tell us all the places. So I would say LinkedIn is my biggest channel, just Misa Chen on LinkedIn. Also, I am on Instagram, Misa underscore Chen as well. Awesome. And everybody go listen to her TED Talk. It's (laughs) it's super inspiring. 
I listened to it yesterday and I was like, it's beautiful. You are just such a great role model for not only women, but men as well. Just everybody out there. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here. And I appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciate you as well. Thank you all for listening to the show. I hope you gained some insight on how to practice becoming more mindful, learn the importance of listening to your intuition, gain some lifestyle takeaways and fitness tips. You can find me on Instagram at Cherokee Luker and the podcast at MILFBODPOD. So make sure you follow me to access exclusive content to help you become a better you, a better mother, and a better human. Talk to you guys next week about all things MILF.